Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. This conversation is all about the art of actually having a proper conversation with topics that we may not actually want to have a conversation about, some hard-hitting topics and how to navigate those kinds of topics with the conversations that we have. My guest today is none other than Celeste Headley. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, she's an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and the author of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter and Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. And she's also the best-selling author of Speaking of Race, Why Everybody Needs to Talk About Racism and How to Do It. So she is well-versed in this subject of actual conversationalism and how to do it properly. And this conversation really revolves around human nature, why we sort of shy away from difficult conversations and reclaiming our common humanity as well as finding our well-being. Uh, Celeste is very good and at, at, uh, at speaking about these sort of topics and asking the right kinds of questions that sort of brings to light these important truths that are found often with the difficult conversations, right? And Celeste frequently does provide insight on what is good for all humans and what is bad for us as well, focusing on the best research in neuro and social science to to increase understanding of how we relate with one another and how we can work together in beneficial ways in our workplace, neighborhoods, communities, and homes. She's a regular guest on and host for NPR and America, American Public Media, among many, many others. You can go and get her, her books. They're available at her website, celesteheedley.com. And I'll make sure the links for wherever you can, where, where you want to find her will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, 
don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. It is very, very close to launching into the world and I'm getting really, really excited for you guys to actually read the book. So go and get a pre-order or go get a copy actually by pre-ordering it right now. And the more pre-orders we get, the cheaper the price will be. It will come down, trust me. So the more people and the, the best thing is when you do pre-order now, and the price does drop because of the more people that do pre-order it, the price for you also drops too. So how amazing is that? All right, my friends, hope you guys go and get a copy of the book. You know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, the stories, and how to have a proper conversation from the wonderful, the incredible Celeste Eadley. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. Now, like I just said, literally a second ago we're off to a great start with that introduction (laughs) Um, we'll get into productivity in just a moment but before we do that my very first question for you is what does success look like for you so my goal in life if you take out the personal like you know raising my son so he's independent and healthy and happy and all that stuff um is to be of use. Like, I just want to make the world a slightly better place by the time I leave it. Um, and so success for me is, uh, being able to do that kind of productive work that makes me feel, you know, good about my purpose in life while I'm supporting myself financially. That's not possible for everybody. Um, but it has been possible for me. So I feel like I'm pretty successful. When you say making this world a better place, how do you go about making this world a better place? Well, I'm a Buddhist. So um, one of the uh, principles of Buddhism is right work, which means um, you need to make sure that, you know, obviously you need to earn a living, but in the, over the course of, of earning a living, you need to make sure that whatever you're doing is not making the world less safe, less loving, um, less, you know, good. Uh, so I, you know, obviously I would never work for a gun manufacturer or a tobacco company. Um, when I say making the world a better place, I mean, moving the needle towards progress, social justice, environmental, uh, activism, just moving it just a little bit further towards equality, inclusion, health, well-being, the, the health of the planet, as well as the health of the people. So that's what I mean. Have you found that challenging over the course of your life to do? I mean, you have to make sacrifices, you know, um, I, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. I get invited to do speeches for corporations, uh, that I won't work for. Um, so, uh, you know, you have, you make sacrifices. I was, um, offered jobs in television uh, multiple times. Um, and I, that was tough for me that, uh, I, I didn't want to work in a job where I was reporting on crime and the weather or, or feeding into stereotypes of people or not being able to give people the, the absolute truth. I mean, I think that's what journalism is all about. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is sometimes difficult. You have to make sacrifices. Um, and sometimes they're hard, more difficult than others. You know, I was a single mother for most of my adult life and broke, um, and that ups the ante, right? When someone offers you uh, uh, money to do something that goes against your values and you're broke, 
that's hard. <laughs> that's a hard decision to make. I'm lucky enough that I have been able to stick with my values, but I'm also not going to come down on anybody who's made the other choice because, you know, you're not helping anybody if you're, you're, you're crashing and burning. So we all do what we have to do. It's hard when you're faced with that you're broke and you face this massive opportunity, but it goes against your integrity and yeah. your character. And I've always wondered, so for you, how do you go about making or getting to that decision where, okay, I'm not going to compromise on my integrity here. You know, like no one's going to know, but me, I need to support my family here. I, I need to do what I need to do. How do you make that decision and that sacrifice? Does it ever get easier or no? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it does get easier as I became more financially stable and secure and I could uh, go, uh, you know, I could last, you know, um, without whatever that one job was, I would be fine without that one job. Um, that certainly was not true throughout my life. And, and I, again, I would never criticize someone who made the other decision because when you have a child or a family who's counting on you and needs you, um, you have to weigh your risks. And so your responsibility to that child is more important at that point than your principles. It's more important because the principles will still be there when you get done with that job, <laughs> you can get right back to them. <laughs> um, I have been lucky that I haven't, I haven't had to do that. I haven't had to keep a job where, where I did not believe in what it was that I was doing. Um, but again, a, a lot of that is luck. Some of that is just pure timing that, um, when I got to the point where I was going to have to make that tough decision, something else finally came up that offered me a living that was within my principles. So, you know, I mean, I can't even tell anybody how to make that decision. That's it. That's something that's so deeply ingrained in the specifics of your life and what's happening to you right then and who's dependent on you and what are your responsibilities? What promises have you made? Um, but if it's possible to live a life in accordance with the principles that you've decided for yourself, then, you know, that obviously I think that's what you should do. What's the story around you becoming a Buddhist? Uh, well, I was a Unitarian for a, a very long time, a Unitarian Universalist. And um, What's my, that? so a Unitarian Universalist, um, the, it's, it's not necessarily a religion because essentially the way that Unitarian Universalism began um, was that a, a Christian community and a, and a Jewish community decide to share the same church, right? Because for <laughs> Christians, their holy day is on Sunday and the, the Jews, their holy day is on Saturday. So they were like, well, you know, <laughs> why can't we use the same space? So um, it sort of began with that. And then they began to realize that, you know, if you break down the world's religions into their basic core components, like what do we believe? What values do we share? A lot of them are quite similar. Um, but the truth is, is that Unitarian Universalist is a place for people to commune on spiritual subjects. It, and you can be an atheist and be a Unitarian Universalist. You can be a, a humanist, a Sikh, a Taoist, a paganist, a, a pantheist. Um, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Unitarian Universalism is more about um, being a good citizen of the world um, and 
living in such a way where you're not harming either the world or other people. Um, and that's not actually that far off from Buddhism. So uh, in our Unitarian Universalist church in Detroit, where we went for a very long time, there was a Buddhist um, temple there that, that would meet, you know, several times a week. And so I started going to their, um, you know, you don't call them services. I started going to their meditations and I switched over. It was, that was the, that was the, it's not even a faith. Buddhism is a, is a practice, but yeah. that was the thing for me. The universal thing. Unitarian. Yeah. Unitarian <laughs> sounds a bit too long for me. <laughs> you can also call it just you, you, <laughs> you, you, that, yeah, I'm, I'm more familiar with Christian Buddhism, Jew, that, that sounds a bit easier to, <laughs> That's fair. to think about, but um, I'm, I'm, yeah, neither here nor there, but um, on, on that front, <laughs> uh, but Celeste, I'm curious, you, you are a journalist, you're a award-winning journalist. What was the, the career, did you always want to be a journalist or what was the story behind that? No, I absolutely didn't want to be a journalist. And um, I'm, I have multiple degrees in opera. I'm a professional opera singer. Huh. Um, but if you're going to be a working musician, you have to have a day job. Um, so right after I graduated my master's degree, I was offered a job um, doing hosting classical music programs for, for public radio. Um, and so I started doing that. I really loved it. It turned out I was actually really good on the radio. And so then they started training me to do other stuff on the radio and they started training me to do reporting and news hosting. And, uh, it just kind of grew from there. Um, but the very first TEDx talk I ever gave was called don't find a job, find a mission. And it was basically about that because it's, it would be very easy to say, Oh, you're a journalist. You're not even using your classical music degree, although I, I still do performing. But for me, if you, if, again, if you go to the core of what my job is about, um, radio reporting is about reaching people and communicating to people through the power of your voice. So um, that's pretty smack dab on the dot in terms of what I was trained to do. So you had natural talent in the art of communication. Exactly. Huh. And it just turned out to be something I was really good at. Has your mission changed over the years? Um, I think my mission has broadened out. I think that happens with age. Um, when you're younger, you're so concerned about yourself and what you're going to do and proving yourself, um, that although, yeah, you're idealistic and you, you want to fight for the, those who are underrepresented and be on the right side of history, a lot of things in the end, you know, you're young, you don't have a lot. Um, so you're insecure in many ways and that's what your dreams are about. Um, I think that as I've gotten older and become safer, um, also, I just don't care what other people think anymore. That really cripples you as a young person, caring what people think about you. Um, and so that has given me the freedom to broaden out my goals and my mission and include lots of different people and lots of different um versions of what that looks like. Um, but the mission has always been to leave the world in, in at least slightly a better place than I found it. Yeah. This, uh, idea of not, not caring what people think for <laughs> a lot of young people, whatever reason it is, it just seems to affect the ages of like your teenage years and early twenties. 
And then for whatever reason, the moment you hit your 30s, it just drops off the face of the map. <laughs> it's like you can't think about it anymore. But I'm curious, do you think that we can, how can we help uh, a young person at the moment get to that place early on? Because I think it, it does cripple them from achieving the things that they want to achieve. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that part of it is just not, not giving in to the standard um, conversation topics that we generally talk about, you know, don't ask them about how much they're making or who they're dating or what their job is or where they're living. There's other stuff to talk about, ask them other things, or, you know, don't ask to direct the conversation at all with young people, let them direct it, find out what they care about. I think that if you're, you go with young people and again, um, this is all based off my own experience, having been a young person. I, I don't think young people, I think young people just get too much advice um, and not enough space to um, come up with their own advice. So here's the thing. It would be great if every single generation learned from the mistakes of the, the previous generation and didn't have to repeat those mistakes, like that would be fantastic. If that's the way the human race worked, we would be so advanced by now. I mean, it would be ridiculous, but it isn't. We all have to make the same freaking mistakes everyone else made. We never believe it when our parents tell us not to do whatever that stupid thing is that we're doing. We, we don't. And so therefore, I think we just need to let go of this idea of sort of preventing young people from making those mistakes, assume they're going to make them and set up just the support system for helping them recover. You know, part of that that um, constant worry about what other people are thinking is based on fear, fear of what people are going to think about you there, that you're going to make them a, a mistake, that you're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, wear the wrong thing. Um, and so if we can allay the fear by making it okay to screw up, by not making that some kind of comment on their personality or who they are or their worth and their value, I think that makes it easier to stop, to, you know, to let that fear go and sort of just figure out who you are and what it is that you want to do. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, they're getting quite a bit of conflicting advice from yeah. a vast majority of people and it can confuse the living daylights out of them because they're thinking about this person's advice, whereas that conflicts with another person's advice, which then yeah. they're over overloading their brain and they just haven't had the time to take a step back and really think about what they believe is, is true and real, not based on what someone else has said, because mo majority of the time they can be wrong because it's, usually that's based in their own experience, right? I mean, some advice can be great and I've noticed that in my own life, but a lot of advice can just be like cannon fodder. <laughs> you don't and it's also it. scattershot, right? Like it's a Jackson Pollock painting. Like it's pure chance if it makes it onto the, the canvas or not. Like your advice may have worked beautifully for you at age 23, um, but not only are you in a completely different position, but you're a completely different person yeah. and that may not work for that young person. And so if they follow your advice, that may be a huge mistake. Um, I, you know, one of my favorite sayings is um, people need your kindness more than your opinion. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is very, especially true of young people. Another thing is, and this is one that I, I take so dearly to heart that I have it printed up on my my in my office and it's sitting right next to my computer, which is 
be the person that you needed when you were younger. And I think about that all the time. Who was it that I needed um, when I was in my 20s? The 20s are such a fraught decade and you can make so many mistakes. You can really screw up. Um, and so who, who did I need at that point? And that's the person that I strive to be for young people. If you could go back and steer yourself in any direction that you wanted to steer yourself, not give yourself advice, but just give yourself that little push in whichever direction that you want or change your course in any way, where would you go and what would you do? I mean, I would definitely stop making decisions based on what I thought other people wanted or thought was good. I would stop trying to impress people. That's for sure. Um, I would also absolutely stop dieting. <laughs> like I completely wrecked my health and metabolism <laughs> by dieting for 40 years. Um, um, and so those are the two things I would do. I mean, and, and frankly, the constant dieting, even when I was a model, I was a model for a short time as a young person, I was still dieting like on a reduced calorie calorie diet. So I definitely would have rejected that paradigm completely, which is of course, part of worrying about what other people think of you. I think, yeah, dieting sucks. Yeah. Eating it's really bad for right. you. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from me, from the advice I can give you it, it will crash your health. <laughs> so. I, I prefer just to eat healthy, eat in moderation and exercise. And I live a sustainable and, and healthy-ish life. Not so, I don't believe in diets. I believe in what I call the freedom diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had realized that when I was younger. Because at yeah, this point, eating healthy and 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 exercising, you know, isn't going to fix stuff. But a little too late. But I'm healthy. I'm extremely healthy. I'm very fit. You know, I wish I'd known this as a young person. Yeah, me too. I mean, honestly, 2017, yeah, 2016, 2017, I learned the hard way too. I ended up in hospital for nine days Oh man, because of, of my stupidity because uh, I wouldn't listen to people that knew listen. better, that I knew better, and they were trying to steer me in the right direction, yeah. and I thought I knew best and it just got a bit too extreme on one hand, and yeah, it was uh, not a not a pleasant story. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, so, it never is. No, yeah. but I mean, I'm I'm grateful that I did go through it at the end of the day because now I can share that with someone else that may be going through a similar thing and say, "Hey, here's here are the warning signs." I'm not here to change your life in any way because I don't believe I can, but I'm here to share my story in the hopes that you can listen. And I think that's why you do the same thing, Celeste. Am I right? Like you, you yeah. share it in, in the hopes that people will listen so that they don't make the same mistakes we made. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I, I, in my personal life, I try really hard. Like when I'm in person with somebody, I try to not, just never give anyone advice unless they ask. Um, but other than that, I stay away from unsolicited advice. Like it's the freaking plague. Like I don't, I don't even give subtle unsolicited advice. Like someone says, oh, I'm having this problem. I don't immediately go, oh, I had a similar problem and here's what I did. I stay away from the whole thing completely. Um, 
because it, it does just doesn't work that way. It doesn't mean you can't guide the people around you. I'll put it out there into the universe. And if people are like Googling, how do I, how do I get better at conversation? They'll find my Ted talk. Right. Um, but I've in my personal life stayed away from, I, I totally avoid unsolicited advice at this point. So without giving advice or without like digging into things that we shouldn't really talk straight up with a young person or even just a person in general, what sort of questions should we start off with to get them talking? You know, I think especially since the pandemic, if there's one like tiny sliver of, of silver lining um, from the from the horror of the COVID pandemic, it is that I think more people than ever, especially young people, are realizing that they are not introverts like they thought they were, um, that they really, really missed socialization and human contact for a couple of years. Um, you know, the for young people, research shows that their their communication skills are no less developed or sophisticated than anybody else's. In fact, um, there are studies that show that millennials are better listeners than than baby boomers. I don't know if you guys have say baby boomer for that generation and like America does, but um, so older people, people who are like in their 60s, 70s at this point. Oh, we um, got them. <laughs> we definitely yeah. got them. <laughs> yeah. So um, but the the place where they differentiate is millennials and younger people, Gen Z, um, are the most likely to believe that texting back and forth is the same as having a conversation like you and I are having right now. And it is absolutely not. So I think that um, probably if I were going to, when I, whenever I start with a younger person, I start asking them a lot of questions about, you know, how often they talk to their friends, how often they reject phone calls and then send a text that says, what's up? <laughs> um, you know, I just start asking a lot of questions about their habits um, and what their priorities are. And, and if you begin to ask people about what their real end goals are, not like, oh, I want to make more money, but it's like, okay, Obviously, everybody wants to make more money, but why? What's yeah. the purpose of the money? What are you going to do with it? Um, what What is the the end goal of your life? At what point do you feel like your life will have had meaning and value? Um, if you can try to focus people on those kind of questions, um, you can hopefully get them thinking about seeing things, I guess, from a different perspective. Yeah. Who, what, when, why? <laughs> yeah especially why for what purpose to what end yeah <laughs> and it's funny because uh, i think it's it's interesting how young people these days i hate texting even though if someone does text me i will respond to that text because i hate having the the notification i'm very particular <laughs> that way uh, i know some people can have like hundreds of notifications just on there i don't know how you do it i think it's just my brain just cleans it up <laughs> I like things clean, Celeste. Uh, but anyway, it's, I get it. I get it's it. Funny how that, but then again, it's sort of like we during the pandemic, we didn't really have much of a choice to do that. Yeah. Now we've got a shift all of a sudden to having deep conversations with people in person. But how can we avoid that awkwardness? Is that possible? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I think the the first thing is, is that they don't have to be deep conversations. You know, science shows that we get uh, almost as big of a benefit out of a five to 10 minute conversation about nothing, about <laughs> sports and the weather 
as we do from that long, deep conversation with our friends. Like human beings, homo sapiens, we are so dependent for our survival on our communication and our collaboration with other humans that you get an almost immediate physiological and neurological bounce from a conversation. As long as it's not competitive or hostile, you're gonna, you're gonna have you know, a good reaction to that. So uh, that's the first thing I would say is if you're worried about the awkwardness, then start small. You know, ask your, the barista at your coffee shop about the weather, um, talk to your grocery store clerk about, you know, their tattoo or whatever, you know, jewelry they're wearing, you know, get those low risk, short conversations in because you're still going to get a mood boost. And we also know that even a 10 minute conversation actually improves your cognitive abilities. It improves your performance on a whole host of cognitive tasks um, for some time afterward. So don't dive right in to the one hour phone call. Just put a toe into the water and and start that way. The other thing I would say is just be honest. Um, If you don't know what to say, if you say, I feel awkward, I've been cooped up for a year and a half, just say that because it's very likely they're feeling the same way. You know, one of the one of the reasons there's awkwardness oftentimes in conversations is because of unspoken things. Yeah. But just speak them. (laughs) Just just speak them. And sometimes you do need that period of quietness because like your brain for me i've got to actually think about what i'm gonna say next whereas some people can just like speak it like there's not much thinking involved (laughs) it might sound like and they just go a million miles an hour and i'm trying to keep up with them like they're asking one question after the next and then they're trying to focus and and it's just you're just like, okay, slow down. Give me a second. Uh, I need to, I need to process everything you just said a second ago. Uh, but for me as well, Celeste, I'm not good at small talk. So I, I like asking people a deep question straight away and that kind of unnerves them. <laughs> it can, bit. yeah, can do. So yeah. I've, I've got to, I've got to try and pick up that skill of the art of small talk. <laughs> well, the art of small talk is the questions you're asking, right? Yeah. Like I was at the TED summit. Uh, some years ago, back when we were still doing stuff like that. And this um, Japanese uh, nuclear scientist came up and he said, you know, I've watched your TED talk a whole bunch of times and I still don't know how to start a conversation. How do you start it? And I said, I looked at his name tag and said he was from Kyoto. And I said, so you're from Kyoto. Like, um, do you live in a house or like an apartment? And he said, I live in a house. I said, you know, pardon me, I've only ever been to Tokyo. So I haven't been to Kyoto. I don't know what it looks like. Like, do you have backyards like with pets or like, what does the town look like? He's like, you know, the cherry blossom trees and all the temples. I'm like, yeah, but what about where the people live? Like, tell me what the streets look like. And he started talking to me and I started asking about the seasons um, and about five or 10 minutes. And I said, that's how you start a conversation. Huh. You, you just asking them questions about stuff things they know the answer to that they care about. That's it. That's all small talk is. And as long as you're asking them again, you're asking questions that I answer to, because you never want to make somebody feel stupid um, and that they care about, but that's actually super simple to do. Like, you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, I love PBS. I don't know if you can know it. It's, it's the public broadcasting system. It's our public television. It's our form of American form of the BBC TV. Uh Um, 
So it would, it's very easy to walk up to me and either say, what is PBS? Or say, do you actually love PBS? Or did you get that free at a conference? Right. And then I'll start telling you about my relationship with PBS. Like that's all that small talk is, is asking other people questions that they can answer and letting them talk. And I did my best uh, when we first met because I never met you before. So we, we complained about the weather. Yes. Yeah. And it works just fine. Right. I'm glad that it did. <laughs> Cause I was like, yeah, I was, I was trying Celeste. I was trying yeah, my best. You did a good job. <laughs> I'm glad that I did. I mean, it's funny because when you start a conversation with someone like here in Australia, I don't know what it's like in America, it might be different, but when I'm, I see my friends and I haven't seen them in a while, or I've seen them like, say a couple of days, uh, like in, consec- in consecutive days, and you go, oh, hi, how are you? Long time no see, that sort of thing. I literally saw you yesterday and we've had a massive conversation for hours on end. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm worried about what am I going to talk about next? Like I've spoken about quite literally everything I've thought about here. I thought I've dived into a lot of areas, but how do I continue this conversation if I feel like I'm stuck? Is that even possible or do I just leave it and let that person go? (laughs) No, that's the point at which I just start asking them more questions. Um, You know, and it can be a completely random question. Like, uh, what's the, what do you think is the, the best, the most fun word to say? Like, I think smock is really fun to say. <laughs> smock. Yeah, I like to say smock. Smock, 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 smock. That's just fun to say. Um, so you can you can just ask them questions like that. You can say, God, it feels like we talked everything out yesterday. There's almost nothing to say. And let them respond to that. I mean, again, when I talk about saying the stuff out loud, it's okay to say those things. You know, there's this brilliant study Um and the study report is called the liking gap. And essentially they uh, were trying to figure out why, what gets in the way of people having conversations with each other. If it's so beneficial for us physically and emotionally and physiologically, neurologically, why do we keep avoiding it? And essentially the researchers followed, you know, studied all different kinds of people, people who just met, people who'd lived together for a year. And their final takeaway was that you know what? People like you more than you think. Yeah. And they enjoy talking to you more than you realize. And what's getting in the way is your own self-consciousness. You're, most of us are so wrapped up in worrying about how we're coming off. Like, was that funny? Do they think I'm stupid? Why did they make that face? Oh God, they hate me. <laughs> Why are they looking at my shoes? Are these shoes dumb? Um, that we miss all these signs they're giving off that they're just enjoying our company. Yeah. So like, relax, it's going to be okay. And it's totally okay to say, holy God, I, you know, you and I, it's, you know, we, I I'm seeing you again. We just talked about everything else on the planet. What is left to talk about? Let's, let's think, what are the subjects that we still didn't talk about? And then you can turn it into the, like a group project to figure out what subjects you didn't cover. Um, but, you know, just be honest about it. How about the more difficult and tricky topics like, race, gender, identity, like politics, that sort of thing. How do we navigate those big questions and those conversations, especially if say someone doesn't agree with you? So first of all, I would say do have those conversations because the benefits of having conversations with people who disagree are massive. Um, 
The other thing I would say is that there's one simple trick. I didn't, it's not easy, but it's simple to get through these conversations. And that is stop trying to educate people or prove them wrong or change their mind. Yeah. Just stop. Cause it's not going to happen. Like when's the last time you had a disagreement with someone and, you know, 15 minutes in, they were like, Oh my God, you're right. I was completely wrong. I've totally changed my mind. You're, you are 100% right. It's just not that. No, it's, that's not realistic. And yet we keep going into conversations aiming for that, even though it's never happened to us. Yeah. So instead, what you want to do is say, look, their position is so completely foreign to me that I I'm going to find out why what is making them tick. I'm going to keep asking them questions until I understand a little bit more about why they think the way they do. Um, th- there's again, I could I could fall back on the research on the power of questions, not just questions, but follow up questions yeah. that that may, that have a a unique power to make other people feel heard and understood. And it's understandable. Let's say you're talking to somebody who's racist. It's understandable to me if you're like, I don't want to make them feel good about themselves, but unless you help make them feel like a human being, nothing you say matters. Yeah. If you don't make a human bond, you're wasting your breath. So there has to be some cord of connection between the two of you. We're both human beings and both of our opinions matter. And I'm, I'm feeling at least respected here, even if I'm not agreed with. And the way that you do that is going to, into the conversation with curiosity rather than, you know, that you're on a mission to change their mind. Yeah. Instead of just being told one thing, I'm right, you're wrong. And being bombarded with all these so-called facts and experiences and everything like that. Cause the, the main, main point is like you said, you're not going to change their minds. Yeah. I think people go in with such hostility because yep. they're so passionate about this one particular topic. They've been hurt. And so you disagreeing with them, they don't like that. And so as a result, they're more hostile in the kinds of questions and their kind of responses to to you and you're trying to understand their point of view so i think it's also about trying to find common ground somewhere in between all that conflict yeah (laughs) that's a tricky situation isn't it yeah well i mean partially because the sometimes these problems are so the stakes are so high um that we feel like we can't give an inch like it's too important for us to to compromise and I understand that. Look, I'm a black Jewish woman, single parent for most of my life. I get it. But it's too important for you not to make a compromise because not compromising is one of the reasons we haven't made the progress on this that we should have been making a long time ago. Yeah. So rather than continuing to do the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, let's understand that solving these problems is iterative. It's going to happen slowly over time with small changes. You can't get big change without small change. And so if you start with that, um, then you can stop feeling as though everything's at stake in that one conversation. It's not like the stakes are super low for that one conversation. Super low. You can relax. You're not going to be bringing about world peace. Yeah. I personally enjoy having those disagreeable conversations. Cause I think it's more interesting. It's more fun. 
you get to ask them more and more questions to understand their line of thinking. And maybe you might ask them a question that they've never thought about before, which then starts them going into that process of learning something else or more. And you might get them to see your perspective on things. Who knows? But the art of questions, the art of curiosity um, is just powerful. So I have to have a little caveat here. You're, you're a white guy, right? Yes, I am. So that whole process is probably easier for you, which yeah. is great because you're exactly the kind of person that we need speaking up for the yeah. underrepresented. Like that is exactly what we need you to do. But it's probably a little easier for you because your safety isn't on the line in yeah. those cases, right? That is true. Um, so the fact that it's easier for you, the fact that you're more likely to believe, be believed than a woman and especially a woman of color um, makes it so much more important that you continue to have those conversations. Like it's awesome that you're doing that because you're in a better position to change minds than I am. Yeah. But it does make it a little easy for you. Well, hopefully it makes it easier for those people that find it difficult to yeah. have those conversations, right? Like that's, I think, where my mind goes to it, at least. Hopefully I'm yeah. making a, a, a little bit of a, a difference in a positive way in that respect so yeah. that it opens up the conversation so that people aren't okay. living in fear to ask questions and and so forth. But I'm enjoying this conversation immensely, but I, I know that your time is very valuable. Uh, so I'll, I'll ask you a few more questions if that's all right with you, Celeste, and then we'll yeah. sort of wrap things up. But... Um, what has been your, no, sorry, let me ask you this question instead because I like it better. <laughs> uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Um, I love my resilience. Um, I've been kicked in the teeth a bunch of times. And not comparing my story with anybody else's, other people have had it worse, that goes without saying. Um, but it has not been easy. And I have stayed on my feet. Um, I have kept my promises. I have more than survived. I've thrived. And that's my favorite part of me. Mm. Where can people find you, Celeste, and read your books? Uh, you've got Speaking of Race and We Need to Talk as well. You've got a few other books, and I believe. Do Nothing, yeah. Do Nothing. Um, the, the books you can find pretty much anywhere. I'd love it if everyone supported independent bookstores. Um, but uh, the easiest way to find me, I mean, I think the only social media I'm really active on is Twitter. Um, and it's just Celeste Headley or my website is celesteheadley.com. Super simple. What's next for you, Celeste? So I'm actually working on a book about my great grandmother's life, who was born on a slave plantation in Georgia and went on to found the very first library for blacks in the state of Arkansas. Um, and she had a remarkable life, but she also represents a whole generation of black women in the United States who were really focused on literacy and made it their mission um, to, you know, as a group, teach all of the people of color in the United States, how to read and how to vote and lift them out of poverty and powerlessness just through the power of reading. Um, and that story has just been forgotten if it was ever really known broadly. And so that's my next project. Wow. When do you think that's going to come out? When do you <laughs> that one's a lot of research. I mean, that's going back through archives and stuff. So I'm thinking that's going to be a few years. Wow. I mean, that is exciting. I love those sort of stories, those resilience and ones that just, you know, push through and make a way for other people. I mean, and she started a library, which yeah. I love books. So I know. <laughs> even better. Right. 
It's a win-win. <laughs> amazing. But uh, Celeste, I, this is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they've done it all. I know we'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, God, I don't want it to have everything I've ever said. I've said a lot of stupid things. Um, I hope it shows that I was always a work in progress. I mean, I hope it shows that I got better as the years went by. <laughs> um, that's what I hope it would show that, like, you know, no, no, don't stop watching yet. I realize she's unlikable now, but it does get better. <laughs> that That's what I would hope for. <laughs> I mean... That's a great hope. <laughs> In all honesty. Um, Celeste, thank you so much for your time today, your stories, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. I've enjoyed speaking with you. I've enjoyed it too. Thanks. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.